Hello all my nieces and nephews, and welcome back to Auntie JoJo's Library. All listeners are welcome in my library, but it was created for my seven wonderful nieces and nephews. I love and miss all my nieces and nephews so much, and I wish that I was reading these chapters of Peter Pan to you in person, but unfortunately, I'm reading it to you over this podcast. So today we're going to be reading chapters 7, 8, and 9 from the Calico Illustrated Classics, Peter Pan. Let's get started. Chapter 7, The Little House Tootless stood over Wendy as the other lost boys rushed towards him. I shot the Wendy. Peter will be so pleased. Tinkerbell overheard and laughed. She darted far away and hid. She knew Peter would not be pleased. A horrible silence fell upon the forest. If Wendy's heart had been beating, they would have heard it. Slightly was the first to speak. There's no bird, he said, shaking. I think it's a lady. A lady? said Tootles. He trembled. Curly spoke next. Peter must have brought him here to us. It was a lady to take care of us at last, he pointed at Tootles. You killed her. Tootles' face grew white. Why did I do it? I have often dreamed of a pretty mother. Now I've killed her? At that moment, they heard Peter's crow. He always crowed to signal his arrival. Peter dropped down in front of him. Greetings, boys, I'm back. The boys had crowded around Wendy's body so Peter couldn't see her. "'Why are you not cheering for my return?' asked Peter. "'After all, I have brought a mother for you.' Tootles dropped to his knees. "'Have you seen her? She flew this way,' said Peter. The boy stepped back to reveal Wendy. Peter knelt down and removed an arrow from her chest. "'Who did this? Whose arrow?' Mine, said Tootles, sobbing. She was dead. I did it. Peter raised the air like a dagger over Tootles. Before Peter struck, Nibs cried out, Peter, look at the Wendy lady, her arm. Wendy had raised her arm. Nibs bent down and put his ear to her mouth. She's saying, poor Tootles. Peter danced around Wendy. She lives said Peter. See? He held up the chain with the acorn attached. The arrow struck against it. It's the kiss I gave her. It saved her life. As Tink flew overhead, Peter begged Wendy to get up quickly so that he could show her the mermaids. Listen to Tink, said Curly. She's crying because the Wendy lives. The lost boys told Peter Pan about Tink's crime. Peter was furious. Listen to me, Tinkerbell. Be gone forever. I am your friend and more. Tink flew on his shoulder and pleaded with him, but he brushed her off. It wasn't until Wendy once again raised her arm that he softened. Well, not forever, but for one whole week. Do you think Tinkerbell was grateful to Wendy for raising her arm? Oh, no. She wanted to pinch her even harder. Wendy needs to rest here, said Peter. Let's build a house around her. A moment later, they scurried this way and that way, collecting everything they needed. In no time, John and Michael appeared. 
They were quite relieved to find Peter. Hello, Peter, they said. Hello, said Peter, not paying much attention to them. It's almost as if he didn't remember the boys. He was busy at the moment measuring Wendy with his feet to see how large a house she would need. He also had to leave the room for a table and chairs. Is Wendy asleep? asked John. We're hungry. We want her to make supper for us. Peter flitted about. She's sleeping. We're making her a house. Peter made the boys help, and they protested that she was just a girl. John and Michael didn't like helping the others build Wendy a house, but there was nothing they could do. If only we knew what kind of house she liked best, said Tootles. Wendy stirred in her sleep and sang out. I wish a pretty house, the littlest ever seen, with funny little red walls and a roof of mossy green. The Lost Boys danced with joy. What a good luck they had! The branches they had were sticky with sap and moss carpeted around the ground. She sang some more. Really, next I think I'll have windows all about. With roses peeping in, you know, and babies peeping out. With a blow of their fists, they broke through the branches and they made windows. Yellow leaves then became the blinds. Roses? They made pretend roses grow up the walls. Babies, well, they didn't have any babies. After all, they were looking for a mother. The house was so beautiful. There's no knocker for the door, said Peter. Tootles offered up the sole of his shoe, which was perfect. There's no chimney, said Peter. He snatched the hat off John's head and knocked out the bottom and stuck it on the roof. Peter was pleased with it. He was even more pleased when it started to blow smoke. There was nothing to do now but to knock. Would Wendy answer the door? After three knocks, the doors opened slowly, and Wendy poked her head out. They whipped off their hat. We're your children, said the twins. Please be our mother. I'm just a girl, said Wendy, but I'm a motherly person. She looked at each one of them and smiled. Very well, I'll do my best. Come inside at once before you go to bed, and I'll finish the story of uh, Cinderella. In they went. I don't know how they all fit inside, but be assured, everyone can squeeze in very tight and never land. This was the first of many happy evenings with Wendy. She tucked them in under the trees, but she herself slept in the house. While she slept, Peter kept watch outside with his sword. The pirates could be heard in the distance, and the beasts were on the prowl. Chapter 8 The House Under the Ground one of the first things Peter did the next day was to measure Wendy, John, and Michael for hallow trees. Unless you tree fit you perfectly, it was difficult to go up and down smoothly. It was most important to master the travels of the trees so you could be as graceful as a bird. To find the perfect fit, Peter measured you as a tailor would, would for a set of clothes. The only difference being that the clothes were made to fit you while you had to be made to fit the tree. Usually this was quite easy to do. You simply wore extra clothes to fit or took some off to fit. If you were bumpy or you were an odd shape, Peter would do some things to you. After that, you fit. Wendy and John fitted their trees the first try. 
Michael, on the other hand, had to be altered a little. After a few days of practicing, the children were able to travel easily. They grew to love their home under the ground. Home consisted of one room and a floor that you could dig out if you wanted to go fishing. Mushrooms grew out of the floor in bright colors. They were used as stools. Another tree had tried to grow in the center of the room, but every morning they would cut the trunk back. By tea time, it would be two feet high, and they would put a door on top so it could be used as a table. As soon as they finished tea, they'd saw the trunk again to make room for more play. There was a large fireplace where Wendy stretched out a rope and hung clothes to dry. A large bed tilted against the wall and would come down at 6.30. All the boys, except Michael, slept in it. Michael slept in a basket. There was one recessed wall, no larger than a birdcage. This was the private apartment of Tinkerbell. It could be shut off from the rest of the house by a tiny curtain. Tink always kept the curtain closed when she was dressing or undressing. No one dared peek. Tink's apartment was filled with beautiful furniture. Most of it came from fairy dealers. The washstand, the dresser, and the rugs were the prettiest around. Anyone who saw them immediately thought that Tinkerbell must be a very important fairy. Life was busy for Wendy. There were days that she was too busy cooking and sewing to go above ground. Mealtime, no matter if it real or imaginary, kept her busy. Even her pet wolf managed to find her in Neverland. Wendy didn't think much about her parents. Not that she had forgotten or didn't care about them anymore. It was simply that she was too busy taking care of the children. While she missed her parents, she was sure that they'd be waiting by the window for her return. John and Michael, however, had trouble remembering them. This concerned her a great deal. It was then she realized how serious this was and set up a small school for the boys. During the school lessons, Wendy would ask questions like, What color are your mother's eyes? Or, Who is taller, mother or father? She'd also have them describe father's laugh. They were ordinary questions that had to be asked so the two boys would never forget. Just like their real and imaginary meals, they had real and imaginary adventures. Sometimes Peter would return with such tales that Wendy wasn't sure if she could believe him. Every once in a while, he'd come home with his head bandaged and Wendy would listen to his dazzling tale. Peter's adventure seemed to be never-ending. He often talked about great battles between himself and the Indians. He always won, of course. And then there was adventures with pie. Do you remember the pie that Hook and the pirates had baked to poison the children? No one ate it, thanks to Wendy. She had moved it from place to place, thinking it was too sweet. One day, it dried up as hard as a rock, and Hook, in his travels, tripped over it in the dark. Perhaps the best adventure of all was the one Wendy was sure had happened. How could Wendy be so certain it happened? She knew it to be true because she was part of the adventure. Chapter 9 The Mermaid's Lagoon The Neverland was filled with wonderful things, but perhaps nothing was as glorious as the brightly colored Mermaid Lagoon. The children often spent summer days at the lagoon. They'd swim and float while playing mermaid games in the water. 
The mermaids, however, were not a friendly bunch. In fact, not one ever said a word to anyone but Peter. If Wendy came within a yard of them, they'd dive in the water and splash her with their tails. Wendy and the boys would watch them play, but they knew not to join in unless they wanted another splashing. After lunch every day, Wendy would make John and Michael rest on the Mariner's Rock. It was named so because evil captains would put sailors on it and leave them there to drown as the tides rose. Wendy, of course, knew nothing of this. To her, it was a nice place to stitch and rest while watching the mermaids play their games. One day, as the boys rested and she stitched, a change came to the lagoon. The sun went away and the shadows crept across the water. She couldn't even see her stitching needle. It had become so dark. The entire lagoon had become unfriendly, but just what was it? Wendy looked at the boys and decided not to wake them. She must stick to the resting rule after a midday meal. Even when she heard muffled oars and, she, and her heart sank, she didn't awaken them. Lucky for the boys, someone among them could sniff danger even in his sleep. Peter jumped up and cried, Pirates, dive! At once, Mariner's Rock stood alone. The boat drew closer. It was easy to spot who was on board. It was Smee and Starkey, and they have a captive, Tiger Lily. Her hands and ankles were tied. She would surely be left on the rock to drown. Near the rock, but out of sight, two heads bobbed up and down. It was Peter and Wendy. Although Peter didn't like the Indians, he felt sorry for Tiger Lily. Since it was two against one, he decided to save her. True, it would have been easy to wait until the pirates had gone, but Peter was never one to choose an easy way out. There was almost nothing Peter Pan couldn't do. He imitated the voice of Hook. Ahoy, lovers! He sounded exactly like Hook. The captain! said the pirate, surprised. He must be swimming out to us, said Starkey. We're putting the Indian on the rock, Smee called out. Set her free, came the voice. Cut her ropes and let her go. But captain, cried Smee. Peter thought he was quite clever. Do it now or I'll plunge my hook in you. Starkey and Smee cut Tiger Lily's ropes. Like an eel, she slid into the water. Wendy and Peter's cleverness would likely get him into trouble. She covered his mouth with her hand before he could boast and brag and reveal his identity. Boat ahoy! rang over the lagoon in Hook's voice, but this time Peter had not spoken. The real Hook was now heading to the boat. Wendy wanted to swim away, but Peter wouldn't budge. He had a gleam in his eye. What brings you here, Captain? asked me. Hook sighed. The game is up. The boys have found a mother. If she's a mother, said Smee, she may be here helping Peter. Hook agreed. That's what bothers me. Captain, said Smee, let's kidnap her and make her our mother. This brightened Hook's face. We shall seize all the children and bring them here. We'll make the boys walk the plank, and then Wendy shall be our mother. They all agreed with Hook's plan. Then Hook asked about Tiger Lily. Where's the Indian? We let her go. Your orders, Captain. Hook's face went black with rage. I gave no such orders. He looked through the dark lagoon. 
Spirit that haunts me, do you hear me? Peter should have kept quiet, but he didn't. Instead, he answered back in Hook's own voice. I hear you. Smee and Starkey were terrified and hung on to each other. Who are you? Hook demanded. I am James Hook, captain of the Jolly Roger, replied the voice. You are not, Hook whispered. If you are Hook, tell me who am I? The voice replied. You are a codfish. Hook's proud spirit broke. His men moved away from him and asked, Have we been led all this time by a codfish? Hook ignored them and played the guessing game. Have you another voice? Peter could not resist a game. I have. Are you a man? Asked Hook. A boy, said the voice. An ordinary boy? Asked Hook. In England? The voice answered, I'm here. I'm a wonderful boy. Hook wiped his brow and looked around. He was utterly confused. Give up? asked the voice. Before waiting for an answer, he shouted, I'm Peter Pan. Hook, Smee, and Starkey stood tall. Get him dead or alive, Hook barked. At once, the lost boys appeared. The fight was short. Smee and Starkey landed in the ocean with the boys on their trail. Peter went after Hook. He climbed up upon the rock to rest, just as Peter had climbed on it from the other side. Both faces met on top of the rock. Peter gnashed his teeth and grabbed Hook's knife. He swung it high into the air, but lowered it when he realized he was higher on the rock than Hook. That wasn't fair, and Peter always wanted to be fair. He reached his hand out to Hook. How did Hook repay him? By biting his hand. Peter was shocked. Not from the pain, but from the dirty play. Hook then slashed him twice with the hook. A few minutes later, Hook suddenly jumped into the water and swam away as fast as he could. Why? He heard the tick, tick, tick of the crocodile approaching. He was sure it was following him. Thank you so much for joining me in my library. I hope you enjoyed these chapters of Peter Pan. We will be reading chapters 10, 11, and 12 on the next episode, which will air on the 18th, and then we will be finishing the book on January 21st. I appreciate all the support and all of the listeners in my library. If you have requests or feedback, send me an email at auntiejojoslibrary at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to finishing Peter Pan with you.